Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Exploited. I'm Alexis Jowski. And I'm Kevin Daly, who does not cyst- subsist on his own urine. Oh, that's the bonus feature, though. Damn it. You're right, it is. But anyway, right now we're talking about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome from 1985, directed by George Miller. The world had been through a trial by fire and only the greatest warriors and their deadliest enemies emerged from the flames. Who are you? Nobody. I'm still. I can feel it. The dice are rolling. <laughs> he was the one they called mad. But he's just a raggedy man. But to those whose lives hung in the balance. Where's the waiting ones? Waiting for what? Waiting for you. He was the one they called hero. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying times here. Now, Mad Max is back in Beyond Thunderdome. Gibson, Tina Turner, Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome. Where Mel Gibson returns as Max Rokotonsky. Yes, with a glorious mullet. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and he's got a gray streak in his hair this time. Yes. His hair changes length throughout the film, because it starts off long, but then, like, a bunch of children shave his head. Yeah. But we'll get- we can talk about that in a second because it definitely reminded me of a, a future movie that was kind of <laughs> was kind of funny. So the movie, um, it did get a lot of grief from critics at the time. People saying that it was too Hollywoodized, that they'd taken the the magic of Road Warrior and put Hollywood into it, even though this is a completely Australian film. Yeah, minus Tina Turner. By the way, we did. I swear we didn't death note Tina Turner. I know. Last I week, swear, we, I la- swear I was not responsible for this. La- last week we had a uh, we did the Three Musketeers and we killed someone. For those of us who are not aware, Alexis and I have been doing podcasts with each other for a very long time, and uh, in our previous podcast, we had a habit of <clears throat> mentioning somebody in a movie review or whatever, and then having them immediately die. But now I think we're, we've reached full-on Death Note status. We're, now we're just future episode, the next coming episode. So, uh, yeah. But yeah. I swear, it was not intentional. I didn't do this one. And it actually starts with Tina Turner singing a song. Called- oh, yeah, you don't get, yeah, you don't get Tina Turner for a movie and not have her do Oh, songs, she does right? two songs for this movie. I know. You, I mean, that's just, you have to. Like, that's such a waste if you don't. Yeah, and we uh we get this aerial shot, and we go in on a on a dude with camels being assaulted by a plane guy, which not the gyro pilot from Mad Max, but it's the gyro pilot from Mad Max. It's the same actor. Yeah, D- different character. This guy has a name. His name is Jedediah. Yes, played by Bruce Spence. Yep, who's the gyro pilot. Yep. 
And he's got a little kid with him named Jedediah Jr. A creative name. Yes. But then again, this is, you know, post-apocalyptic Australia, so I think naming your kid something creative probably low on the list of priorities. And while this guy likes flying planes and doing what he can, this kid is bloodthirsty as fuck. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a hard boy. He's like, we're gonna fucking bomb this camel dude. And it's just like, bombs away! Camel dude, by the way, is is Max. They they jack his, because he doesn't even have a car now. So he's got he, the monkey still. Yeah, he's got a monkey. And a camel. And a wagon. But now he doesn't even have that. Not even his monkey. Jedediah and his kid, they, they jack all that. The monkey yeah. wan- wanders away, but we'll see him again. The monkey has the foresight to start dumping Max's stuff out onto the desert to create a trail and to also make sure that he has his shoes. Yeah, and Max wanders. By the way, I did learn something, actually not even related to the movie. Because uh-huh. there's camels in the movie, and I was just like, okay. And then I was watching something else that was talking about that there's a bunch of feral camels wandering all of Australia. Yeah, they're not native to Australia, right? They were imported. I mean, they would do well in the environments, but in the outback and stuff. Yeah, they're imported to Australia, but there's a bunch of wild camels that there's like whole packs that they got introduced and somehow became an invasive species. That says a lot about camels, right? In an a- a continent whose entire goal in life is to kill you, that yeah. it is, they have flourished to the point where they are now a nuisance. Yeah, they have just packs of feral camels wandering around the outback, apparently. Screw you, huntsman spiders. I'm a big fucking camel. He arrives in Barter Town. Yeah, again, naming your stuff creatively not high on the list of priorities for the post-apocalypse. Barter Town is like the most post-apocalyptic city ever. At least a, a, a in so much that can be called a city. Yeah, I mean it actually has rules, <laughs> so which makes it a step up from most of the things we've seen in these in this series so far. It reminded me so much of Junk Town from the original Fallout One. Yeah, I'm sure that's where they took it from. Yeah, actually, this movie came out in '85. Interesting, because let's see. Now, now I have. I know the Fallout games came out in the mid '90s. Oh yeah, but I, I was in they were school. inspired. They were inspired by a game called Wasteland. Really? They had a, a couple of sequels since then, but the original came out in '88. So yeah, pretty close to this. But there's a. It is just a town of commerce. This is capitalism after the apocalypse. Uh, there's a yeah. guy wandering around that's selling pure water. He keeps saying, pure water! And then Max runs a Geiger counter over it, and this is totally not pure water. So, I think it should be mentioned at this point, there was no mention of any nuclear apocalypse in any of the other movies up to this point, right? In the no, first they did, movie they did the, show a bomb in, in the intro to two. Into two, yeah. So, something happened with the gas and one, and then, yeah, okay. So, this is the first time I recall them having radiation brought up in the series, though. Yeah, they don't really talk about it much. It's not like um, stuff that parodies Mad Max, where they very heavily talk about it. Like, that episode of Rick and Morty, where they're talking about, like, oh, the big boom-booms. Yeah. I think this is this is your inspiration. This movie is probably your inspiration for your wastelands and fallouts and stuff like that. This is you know with the Geiger counter and the radiated water and the you know bartering and all that shit. Yeah. It's weird because we know that Mad Max lived before the apocalypse. 
because the original movie took place while society was on the downslope. Yeah, they're 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 descending into anarchy, gas crisis, and stuff like that. Yeah, but this movie so feels like two or three generations after. I know, right? It, especially once we get to the kids later. Like, I'm really confused about the chronology of what's going on here. Yeah, like, if we did not have the first movie, it would make sense, everything in here, that, oh yeah, we're like two or three generations after the bombs fell. But because we have the first movie, it just makes it weird. Yeah. But Bartertown, which says that they're helping build a better tomorrow, which I guess the that was the initial intent. Maybe the spirit's still there. I mean, it's still there. Yeah. But as uh, often happens with human beings, there is a uh, political struggle. Yeah, they've built a functioning society, as one society can function in this environment. With laws and law enforcement and... Yeah, and this it is actually a society. It is a lawful society. They have commerce. As one guy goes in to see the, the head trader, and I don't know what he's selling, but the, the trader tells him, Oh, you can get a sack of grain or a woman for two hours. And apparently he opts for the woman. <laughs> That's That was the assumption, yes. That's when Max comes up and he's like, Hey, look, somebody jacked my shit and I'm trying to find the guy. And um, they're like, no, this is Barter Town. You just come and ask for stuff. You have to trade stuff. He's like, I got skills. Sorry, the brothel is full. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And then we get this tiny dude. Iron Bar is his name. Played by a Australian wrestler named Angry Anderson. Rock musician. Yeah. Rock musician, not wrestler. Rock musician. He's got, like, a harness with a, a doll head on it. To make himself look bigger, presumably. Yeah, and he's like the badass, like head of security for Barter Town, basically. And he's got a like some dude dressed as an Aztec warrior. Oh yeah, and Max just shoots the dude's feathers off his head. Yeah, it's kind of like the scene from Indiana Jones with the guy with the scimitars in the first one in uh, Raiders. He's doing the little the millionaires and stuff, and then Indy just shoots him. Yeah, <laughs> this guy's got his like butterfly knives flicking around. And he just shoots the feathers off his head as a warning. And so the, the head trader's like, oh, wait, you do have actual marketable skills here. I, I've, I've got a, a real job for you here. Come come with me. And that's when they ask him to, like, leave your weapons here at, like, this check-in. Takes him, like, five minutes. Yeah, it's a five-minute scene as he's just dumping all of these fucking hidden guns onto this counter. Like, hey, it's Snake Pluskin. And as they, they lead him through Barter Town, we get to see this camel salesman that's dressed like a wizard um he's like up on a stage selling these camels and he's like they've got independent suspension power steering and no emission control and we'll see more of this this wizard dude later it's at this point i start thinking it's like how has everyone forgot how to make things like we're not talking like you know I'm not asking for them people to be making like supercomputers and AI engines. I'm talking about like basic shit, like horseshoes. <laughs> like everybody is literally just reusing like sheet metal <laughs> that they find in the desert. No one's. Meanwhile, you know, our ancestors about four thousand years ago at least could cast bronze. And Barter Town's like a city where they've actually they have electricity that they make themselves. So it's not like they're incapable of producing stuff. So I have no idea why. Obviously, you know, from an 
a movie making perspective is because we want the specific aesthetic of everyone everything is turned to shit but i think by this point we would at least be you know making shit again yeah so they you need know, new new clothing yeah everything is just recycled that's just the aesthetic but they lead max up to this this penthouse which is all like sexy blue lighting it's and like the nicest place in the entire series. There's a, a dude in a diaper playing the saxophone. The personal sax player for Auntie, played by Tina Turner, who was the the ruler of Barter Town. I have ruler in quotes, though, because of things later. Ost- yeah, ostensibly. <laughs> yeah. And she refers to Max as Raggedy Man, and that he he's just looking for some work, and she's like, you're a raggedy man. She's wearing a chain armor, male armor. With shoulder pads, because this is the 1980s. Yep. So she has all of her people attack Max, and he fights them off. And she's like, oh, good, you survived the audition. They just jumped him into their gang, basically. Yep. And so she shows him, like, this is the job you got. And we, we learn about Undertown, and the, 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 the dirty secrets of Barter Town here. That they get all of their electricity from methane gas with pigs. That below Barter Town is just a big, giant, just just pig town really and it's lorded over by master blaster which is um a great name yeah great game too yeah true it is i don't think it's related to the movie but it is a great game no but you know when they made that game they probably like took the name from this movie probably and master blaster is actually two different people and there's a tiny little intelligent midget engineer Although he talks in caveman speak he's actually like frightfully intelligent yeah like super intelligent and his name is Master. And then he's got his big, giant Down Syndrome monster, basically, that wears a big old helmet. And that's that's Blaster. So together, they become Master Blaster. It's like a Voltron thing. <laughs> yeah, he just rides on the back of this dude. Yeah. And so, yeah, Max is supposed to kill Blaster so they can control Master, is the thing. Because they, they want Master fully under their control, since he controls all the energy. But they want his... His thug dispatched. So they send Max down to, to Undertown to, to work in the pig farm. And that's when we first get Master going like, Me, Master, me run Barter Town. Because he kind of does. Yeah, uh, and to prove it, he, he embargoes the power. He just searches down all the power. And then he, he phones up Tina Turner to ask, Who run Barter Town? And she has to confess that Master Blaster runs Barter Town just to get the power turned on. You know who. Say. Master Blaster. Say loud. Master Blaster. Master Blaster. 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 What? Master Blaster runs Louder. Master Blaster runs Bartertown. Lift embargo. But also during this, we learned that uh, Blaster is sensitive to high-pitched sounds. Yeah, because Max's vehicle is down there. Master uh, has um, commandeered the vehicle, but wants his explosive rig removed. Yeah. And they force force Max to remove it, but when he turns the alarm on, Blaster is not so, uh, not so happy about it. Yeah, in fact, Blaster tells him, You brain broken! This my vehicle, you pedestrian. <laughs> and so it starts some shit where we get to how Barter Town handles conflict with 
the titular Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leaves. Yes, and they they announce to, to Tina Turner, you know, Master says, Us suffer bad! Us want justice! We want Thunderdome! And yeah, because the, the idea is that they have no fighting in this society because fighting inevitably led to the bomb. So rather than have people just fight it out, they're going to have them settle it via duel of honor, essentially. Yeah. In the hell in the cell. In this big, <laughs> giant-ass cage match. It's the Sunday on pay-per-view. Yeah. Oh, they even present it that way, too. Cause oh, yeah, it feels like it feels like a, a wrestling match. It feels like a uh, like a steel cage match. Everyone gathers around and on the cage, and Tina Turner rides in on like this this chair on a on a zip cord. She rides in and goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Thunderdome." And everyone cheers, and that that wizard camel salesman comes in as like the MC. He's got the mic hanging down from the top and everything. Apparently, his name is Doctor Dealgood. Dr. Dealgood. I ne- they never said that. That's just in the credits. Apparently, yep. That's in the credits, yep. He's the one they call Dr. Dealgood. <laughs> he gives the speech about why Thunderdome exists, you know, because the fighting leads to war. And he's like, now when men get to fighting, it happens here. Two men enter, one man, le- one man leaves. And it's like uh, the whole crowd chants that. It's a ma- mantra. I think the idea is to discourage people from just getting into fights over minor shit. You gotta pick your battles. If it's something, you know, really important, you have to be willing to die for it, potentially. Yeah. He's got that great line of, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. (laughs) That's right. Welcome to another edition of Listen on. This is the truth of it. Fighting leads to killing. And killing gets to warring. And that was damn near the death of us all. Look at us now. Busted up and everyone talking about hard rain. But we've learned by the dust of them all, Barter Town's learned. Now when men get to fighting, it happens here. And it finishes here. Two men enter... One man leaves. And right now, I've got two men. Two men with a gut full of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. They, they strap Blaster, because Master, he ain't going into the fight. They send Blaster in, and Max, they strap them into these, like, harnesses, and it's awesome. We get Yeah, this, this is actually pretty cool. This big, awesome fight they have is... The uh, the MC says, "I know you guys won't break the rules because there are no rules." 
Yeah, there's like weapons like in the ceiling of the dome and stuff because they can use the bungee cords to like jump up and grab them. Yeah, Max gets a chainsaw at one point. Uh, Blaster grabs like a freaking halberd. Then, then there's like a hammer that gets tossed in there at some point. Yeah, I'd like to point out this is supposed to be a fair fight. Even Anti mentions this has got to be a fair fight. The fucking Blaster gets to go in there with his goddamn helmet. Yeah, his big steel helmet on. And Max is just there in his leather jacket. It's like, well, that makes most of the weapons that you have. <laughs> you just stick your head in there and just protect. You can't go for the head. Max, though, he does have his secret weapon of a whistle. Yeah, he snuck his uh, bosun's whistle in there. Which, you know, we established Blaster was sensitive to sound, and it, it distracts him enough for Max to knock the helmet off. And he's got a giant maul who keeps hitting him in the helmet with. Yeah. And then once he gets the helmet off, Mac, Max hesitates because it's it's just a disabled dude. It's a well, kid, it, really. To be fair, if it wasn't before, after hitting him in the head with the hammer like ten times, the severity of that concussion probably would have made him so anyway. Yeah, and Max is like, whoa, hey, I, I'm not inhuman. I'm not gonna crush the skull of this basically retarded kid. I hate to use the word, but... Well, that's a medical. This developmentally disabled teenager. Yes. And everyone's like, nope, nope, this is Thunderdome, you have to kill him. But even Master runs up and he's like, no, 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 he's got the mind of a child, please don't kill him. And that's when uh, Tina Turner drops her hand and says, this wasn't part of the deal. And Master's like, deal? What fucking deal? And she's, he's just like, nope, no more methane, you, you fucked me over. But that doesn't matter because now that Blaster's out of commission, they just take Master. Really just shoot blaster he's just dying they just crossbow him on the ground yeah they kill him i mean again that concussion probably cte i mean he's gonna end up killing himself or something anyway so you're gonna beat up his wife and get kicked out of the nfl and yeah he's gonna he's gonna severely hurt master at some point yeah so Auntie is like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, I, I enforce the law here now. And now that Master's under her thumb, she's she is now in charge again. And so she condemns Max to face the wheel. Wheel of misfortune. That's exactly what it is. It's the wheel of misfortune. Because the entire thing is just different punishments. Spin it to lose it. Yeah, one of the punishments is, like, Auntie's choice. The MC has to come along again in his wizard costume. Talking Talk about roll of the dice. Yep, justice is a roll of the dice. So Max spins the wheel, and it lands on Gulag. Although we never actually see a fucking Gulag. Right, essentially they just exile him. Yeah, they, they take him out on a horse, they blindfold him. They put him on the horse backwards, by the way. And they just give the horse a slap on the ass, and that's that's it. It just goes running across the desert. Oh, wait, no, they put a big fucking cartoon head on Max. Yeah, they, like, exile him with no nothing and, and looking like an idiot. So Master, meanwhile, is subdued. He's their, their slave now. And he, he tries, he's like, you fix! And no, they just drop him into the pigs, and we, we get one enterprising slave that's apparently named Pig Killer. Yeah, he uh, killed a pig to feed his family and got sentenced to life in uh, in the underworld because of it. Yep. It's a harsh, harsh, harsh rule, but it shows you how important the pigs are to uh, the society. But he's a positive character. He helps out Master. He's a little unhinged, but not in a bad way. He's just a little, little touched. 
Probably yeah. from spending so much time down there shoveling pig shit. Yeah. Meanwhile, Max, his horse just dies. And, well, yeah. falls into quicksand. Yeah. And Max, and he, found his, he finds his monkey. His monkey comes back. Yeah, with like, re- first we reenact the scene from uh, Never Ending Story, then he finds his monkey. Oh, yeah, he's got fucking Artax sinking. It is the Never Ending Story scene. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, the monkey suddenly appears with a canteen for Max. Q, uh, Q life is a highway over <laughs> <laughs> the horse getting swallowed up. But oh, I need to rec- I need to do that now. I need to take the audio from Artax. No, and just play life is a highway over it. Come on, Artax, Smith, Strong. Come on, Artax. Come on, what? What's Smith? I understand. It's too difficult. Our You're sinking! Come on! Get around! You have to now! Come on! Our tax! Fighting against the sadness, our tax! please! You're letting the sadness of the swamps get to you! You have to try. You have to care for me. You're my friend. I love you. Don't be hard. Don't be Max eventually passes out, and he's rescued by some girl, which, at first, I didn't know it was a girl, until we actually see her in the daylight. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I guess it was a, uh, I guess it was female. The body type seemed to indicate as much. Well, at first, we only see her in silhouette. It is hard to tell, like, these post-apocalyptic movies, though, because people just small, <laughs> for and the also, most part. This girl's, like, 13. Yeah, well, yeah, all these people are, are young. So she doesn't really have the feminine features. We're we're about to go a full Lord of the Flies. <clears throat> yeah, this girl is named Savannah, and she drags Max to their camp. And actually, you you said Lord of the Flies. My my note is the Lost Boys. Like yeah, from Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah. The uh, leadership feels. Yeah, no, you're you're right. I definitely thought Lost Boys too when I was watching it because the one dude is totally Rufio from from Hook. Oh, what the one that painted his face white. Or the, the leader no, no. kid. The leader kid. Which, oh, I have his name later in the notes, I can't remember. Slake Mathurst. Slake. <laughs> yeah, and then um, the one with the white face is... Oh, screw loose. Screw loose, but they only call him Screwy. And then Savannah here. And what I love about all the stuff with the kids is their language. Uh, yes, okay, so I wasn't the only one who thought it was really cool that they have their own, like, sub-dialect with their own slang that is very unique. Like you can understand it listening to them, but it is very unique to them. And I thought that was super cool. They came up with this, like uh, this whole new dialect of speaking. Yeah. Cause well, first Savannah's like, I find it him. And they're like, what's this talk? He ain't made no word stuff. And I'm like, I get what they're saying and it's different. And I fucking love it. Yeah. Uh, well, they do the whole story. They has the, like a lot of words are just slightly different. They're words that we kind of use, but not, in that way, but not exactly, but you know what they're saying. It's very cool. 
Yeah, and they um, and they try to use some sonic bonic bullshit. Is the line where they have like a record on a stick and they spin the record and pretend they're calling on a radio? Yeah, they have a general idea of what some of this technology used to do, but not exactly how it works. Well, they are a, a tech cult, which I read an article some time ago that was talking about technology cults, and it was using Thunderdome as an example. But there are, like, these native tribes in, like, the Amazon or really, like, nowhere areas in Africa where technology exists around them. They've seen it, but they don't understand it at all. And they want it, but they don't know how. So they'll, like, build runways, hoping a plane will someday land and grant them everything. <laughs> and that's basically kind of what these kids are. Yeah, because apparently they're descendants of uh, a plane crash. Yeah, we well we we get the tell later on, yeah. which makes sense because of how they do the tell with like a cardboard cutout of like a TV. Oh, I love it's 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 made out of sticks. Yeah, it's a tell. It's just you know, you can tell somebody, but also television. Yeah, so it's a tell. So once they wait, cool. max up, they do with the tell, and the tell is it's their oral history. It's how they did stuff before people had writing. Mm. Yeah, it's, just, it's actually really cool. It's how the ancient Greeks and people before them passed on their culture is with stories like this. This is how the Native Americans and passed have, on like, their culture. Pictographs and stuff to show the histories. Yeah, and the uh the tell, which is where one person is telling the story, very heavy on the audience participation because uh Savannah does the tell and she prefaces it like with this, this thing that they all know. It's just, this ain't one body story, it's the story of us all. Uh, we got it mouth to mouth, so you gotta listen it. Remember, cause what you hear's today, you gotta tell the birth tomorrow. Which we do hear that again later. Yeah. As you knows, I be first tracker, and time's past count I done the tell. But it weren't me that tumbled Walker. It was Savannah. So it only right that she take the tell. This ain't one body's story. It's the story of us all. We got it mouth to mouth, so you gotta listen it and remember. Cause what you hear's today, you gotta tell the birthed tomorrow. I'm looking behind us now, across the count of time, down the long hall, into history back. I sees the end, what with a start? It's pox eclipse full of pain. <laughs> and out of it were birthed crackling dust and fearsome time. It were full on winter and Mr. Dead chasing them all, but one he couldn't catch. That were Captain Walker. He gathers up a gang takes to the air and flies the sky. So they left their homes, said bye-bye to the high scrapers, and what were left of the knowing, they left behind. Some say the wind just stoppered. Others reckon it were a gang called Turbulence. <laughs> and after the wreck, some had been jumped by Mr. Dead, but some had got the luck, and it leads them here. 
One look and they's got the hots for it. They word it, planet Earth. And they says, we don't need the knowing, we can live here. Time counts and keeps counting. They gets to missing what they had. They get so lonely for the high scrapers and the v -v video. <laughs> and they does the pictures so they'd remember all the knowing that they'd lost. Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Then Captain Walker picked them of an age and good for a long haul. They counted twenty, and that with them. The great leaving. They said bye bye to them what they'd birthed, and from out of the nothing, they looked back, and Captain Walker hollered, "Wait, one of us will come." Wait, one of us will come. And somebody did come. But she she talks about, like, the time of the high scrapers. Right. Which, this is what people make fun of when they talk about post-apocalyptic films. Like, I mentioned that Rick and Morty episode. I don't know if you ever saw it. I probably did. It's the Thunderdome episode. That Summer falls for, like, the leader of this gang. And they go into town and the gang leader is, like, in the before times with the boom booms. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Like, he doesn't want to take his helmet off. Yeah, but just the way he's talking about, like, the boom booms come. How come you guys dress like you're in a theme park stunt show, but these guys wear khakis and hockey jerseys? After the boom boom, some adapted to the new truth, and some chose to huddle near the boomy holes, clinging to the lie of the before four times. The radio race rotted them away, leaving only their love for the vertvertisements on Billy boards. Jesus Christ, did the boomy booms blow up all your wordy word books? You mean dictionaries? <laughs> I think I was a child before the boom booms. I think I looked like this. Wanna piss on him? Get out of my head. It's that kind of thing, the way that these kids talk about their history, basically. And here's the thing. Like, it makes sense that words would change over time. But at longest, these are the children of the survivors of this plane crash. Well, like, there's this really fascinating film from the UK called Threads. Which is about, like, nuclear apocalypse happens. And it goes, like, a generation on, and language is all, like, weird. Pronunciation becomes different. They, like, don't even have a word for rabbit. And it basically ends with this, like, pregnant second-generation apocalyptic kid that's like, my Bobby! Yeah, I mean, but I, I don't understand how you would lose the whole word in literally one generation. Yeah, that's why I think this is, like, two, three generations in. Right, but then again, but that also brings up the question, how fucking old is Max at this point? That's why I said, it all makes sense if the first movie doesn't exist. 
Max is like 200 years old. <laughs> because if these are like the kids of the kids that had been in this plane crash, that would make more sense, you know? Yeah, if we're talking like three, four generations past, then yeah. Yeah, because they, they, they don't quite know what the, the nuclear apocalypse was. They just call it the, the pox, pox eclipse. Yeah, these, none of these kids were alive when it happened. Yeah, they talk about, we need the knowing, and oh yeah, they talk about after the plane crashed, some of them had been jumped by Mr. Dead. Yep, I do, I do love me, Mr. Dead. That's the way they say anybody dies, is that they got jumped by Mr. Dead. And that, that their goal is they're waiting for Captain Walker from the plane, who obviously Captain Walker is long dead. And they think Max is, is him. And Captain... Go ahead. Their effigy of Captain Walker does look a lot like him. <laughs> yeah, and that Captain Walker will take them to the land of the high scrapers, to Tomorrow Morrow Land, in, in the Skycraft. And they, they all run out to the... To the plane, the big crashed plane, because basically Max is their messiah. Right. <laughs> well, we'll get back to this at the ending, because in a in a way, yeah, it kind of comes true, doesn't it? And so they they take Max out into the middle of the desert where they have this big ash like seven forty seven crashed, yeah. and it, it's half buried in the desert. And the kids are just climb up on them, and they're like, "Let's go, Captain! We got the wind. Let's go!" And Max. Yeah, that plane is going fuck all. It's not going anywhere. Oh, they call it the Sky Raft. Not Skycraft. Sky Raft. Yeah. Yeah. Not working. And yeah, Max is like, no, no. And he just he just leaves and goes back to there. They got a really nice setup, actually, where they live. It's kind of like a tiny yeah, little canyon with water, fresh water running through it. Yeah, they have like an actual, like, they, <laughs> as far as the post-apocalypse apocalypse goes, they're doing pretty well for themselves. It's pretty cozy down there. Yeah, these kids really made out. They have a nice society with a cool, you know, they have a good oral tradition. They seem like, honestly, they seem like they're doing okay. So he goes back and they're like, hey, he, he tries to tell them, I'm not Captain Walker, I'm just some dude. And they're like, okay, then we're just going to go out on our own. He's like, no, you'll all die out there. If you if you somehow make it through the desert, you're just going to find Barter Town, which is fucking terrible. Yeah, Savannah and some of some of them. There's like a schism here where Savannah and some of the others want to leave, and Slake and some others want to stay. And Max is like, "Dude, you got to stay. It sucks ass out there. <laughs> stay here. It's good." And then when Savannah and them tried to leave, uh, Max takes Slake's spear because it's actually a rifle. None of these kids knew what a rifle was. And, and finds a bullet on like one of their like decorations. Yeah, and he and he shoots at the uh, the kids to to get them to, to their attention. Savannah still ain't having it, even after Max fucking punches this kid in the face. Yeah, and they tie up them, uh, but they still escape though. Yeah, Max goes to sleep and they escape. One of the uh, st staying members wake, you know, like, "Hey, they're gone." Yeah, Savannah leaves, and I, the only one I know that's with her is uh, Screwloose. The others are just random kids uh, that have uh, no names. Let's see. There was Gecko. Oh, Gecko, uh, that's right. Apparently he dies in a deleted scene, so he's not in the end of the movie. <laughs> he just kind of disappeared. Well, they named uh, so few of these kids. Mr. Skyfish is the one with the kite. That's the one that joins them later. 
Anna Goanna is the kid that tells that Savannah has left. <laughs> Anna Goanna? Yep. Eddie is the smallest child who tries to catch up. He's got the koala. Apparently there's a pregnant girl named Kusha. Oh, I missed that. I didn't know one of these kids was pregnant. And then there's Finn. She, he's the one who shows up first when Savannah returns with Max. Yeah. And he gets the R-Tax treatment as well here in a second. <laughs> oh, yes. So, Max feels obligated to go save these kids. Which is a big, big difference for cynical-ass Mad Max. I don't know, I guess with Road Warrior, this, Fury Road, Max, like, fronts as being this cynical, I don't care if anybody lives or dies. But once he gets involved, he's like, I gotta see it through to the end to help these people out. With He's got a soft spot for kids. I mean, this is kind of established in first movie. Yeah, and, you know, the way he cares for Feral Kid and Road Warrior. Right, this kid group, and then Fury Road also, all of the, those women are pregnant. Yeah. So he feels obligated for that. But here he's like, I'm gonna go save these kids, and he takes a couple with him. A couple catch up later on. Yeah, I think it's, who's the the, the youngest kid that's carrying this, like, teddy bear battle standard? Yeah, the, like a koala plush toy. Yeah. Eddie, apparently. Eddie. Eddie, who gets the Artex, falls right into the quicksand. Well, no, Finn no, gets, Finn Finn. gets quicksand. Yeah, because that's how Max finds Savannah and her group, is they're all- they're trying- it looks like that scene from uh, the inside of the Haunted Mansion. One person in the quicksand at the bottom, and then everyone else. Oh, it reminded me a lot of the uh, the Sarlacc. <laughs> and how they're, they're all trying to pull each other out of the Sarlacc and Jedi. I guess technically it's not quicksand, it's a sinkhole, because it's not goopy. Yeah, and you yeah. just drop fast. It's not like you're sinking. Right. The it's- end result is the same. Yeah, the end result is you die in sand. Suffocation by sand. Yeah. It's pretty horrific if you think about it. And, um, so they they all keep going on, and they see the big lights of Barter Town, and the kids are like, is that tomorrow Morrowland? And Max is like, nope, that's fucking Barter Town. You'll never find a more wretched hive of scum <laughs> and villainy. Which, true! Yeah, Barter Town's pretty shitty. Yeah. Literally, literally, there's pig shit everywhere. And the only reason they're there is Max decides that they're gonna, he's gonna save Master to come help these kids. But I guess he's decided Master would be a better, better parental figure for the Lost Boys here. I mean, Master has better technological knowledge. So, Max and the kids, they have all their adventure antics in the underworld here, as they fight Iron Bar and his goons. It's antics! I mean, it's an action scene, but it really feels like antics with kids hooping and hollering and jumping around. You know what I mean? Think Ewoks and Return of the Jedi. That's exactly what it is. It's it's exactly like the Ewoks fighting in the in Endor. Master reveals that like the engine that runs this is actually a train, and they all fuck off in this train. Yep, steal the train. So they remove like all of Barter Town's industry on this big ass train. And they blow the fucking shit out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out of Barter Town. And all the, the Ewok kids are cheering, singing the Ewok song. Um, and then they find a record player, and they realize that the this record, the, the Sonic, they put it on the record player, and Max shows them how to use it, and it's actually just like a French language tutorial. Yeah, and they're less than impressed by it. <laughs> no, those two kids are into it, because it's like, bonjour, hello, and the kids are just... Saying along with it. Then Iron Bar and his war party, they show up to attack the train. And it's. Yeah, cl- yeah, Auntie uh, has summoned the rem- remnants of her 
power base, with a lot of them just leaving town. But some of the remnants of our party base. Now, now we've got the big chase. Yeah, the classic Mad Max action. Well, yeah, they basically they basically took this entire scene and made it into a whole movie in the the next one. Yeah, well, it starts like in Fury Road when when um, what's his face and Martin Joe summons his war boys. Yep, and it definitely like, yeah, it definitely feels the same. It, it, George Miller's like, all right, you know that cool scene we did at the end of Thunderdome. What if we make that into an entire fucking movie? <laughs> They all go out on their their Mad Max cars to attack the train, and Mad Max is fighting him. Some kids are helping out. We still get two kids that are learning French inside the train, though. Yeah, Pig, Pig Killer is joining them. He's driving, driving the train. Yeah. They keep fighting. They get to a rail bridge over a canyon. I should mention at this point, uh, Master is now incredibly well-dressed. Guy, yeah, he just fucking throws on a suit. Suit and a bowler hat. He is dapper as fuck. Because uh, they're just trying to get Master back is all. I don't think any of the kids die. The kids? No, I don't think any of the kids do. Yeah, the movie isn't that heartless. It's not like Fury Road where they fucking run over a pregnant woman. Nope. So they- well, I mean, the kid's not in this scene. I mean, obviously, the guy gets swallowed by, you know, an apparent... By the, the the sinkhole, and that one dude got killed in, in off screen essentially because they cut his death. Yeah. So some of the kids have died, but not not in this scene. But they get to a rail bridge that goes over a canyon, and that's how they lose everybody. They come to the end of the rail line, and that fucking Jeremiah Junior shows back up. Jedediah, not Jeremiah. He's trying to hold up the train. <laughs> yeah, and they just ignore him. Well, no, yeah, they probably. Yeah. They chase him, actually, because he runs into a a really neat, like, he jumps into the trunk of a car, but it's actually the entrance to a cave. Yeah, he sees uh, the Barter Town crew following his train, he's like, oh, we're fucked. Yeah. And he's, uh, he goes into, yeah, they've covered their cave entrance with the hood, like, the hood of this car. They put the, you could open the trunk and get in, or the engine hood, whatever, and then the secret doors underneath that looks like just like a rotted out car. And then down in this cave is the airplane, where Max and all the kids just tell the guy, hey, you have an airplane, we gotta go, let's go. There's like no discussion, they just do it. Yeah, it's like, you have a chance to Max is implying is like, you give us this plane or I'll fucking kill you for stealing all of my shit and causing all this trouble in the first place. Yeah, and so they, they, they get all on the plane plane at first doesn't have enough energy they have to dump a bunch of shit off and then when they finally do the guy's like we don't have enough runway you know because they get to like a canyon so they have to turn around in order to take off but tina turner and the war boys are on their way that's right and it's like we don't have enough runway and max is like oh i'll make sure you have enough and he gets in a car he just drives straight into them to clear a path so the plane can take off and tina turner just tells max like okay we good. Bye. Yeah, that never that make a lot of sense to me. I, I guess she's like, well, who cares anymore? It's all fucked anyway. Yeah, she's like, ain't we a pair, raggedy man? And then she fucks off. I should point out at this point, Iron Bar probably should have died about like ten times and keeps coming back until he finally dies in that car crash. At the end. Yeah, I have three times in my notes, Iron Bar dies. Oh, wait, no. And even going out the end, he's got to give the bird. <laughs> it's like... He's run over by the train. He's knocked off into a canyon. He's, you know... He's a, he's a tough motherfucker. I'll give him that. Jedediah and the kids, they all fly to Sydney, which is just just a wasteland. 
There's nobody there. It's just destruction. But I guess they all decide to just live there now. I don't know I if mean, they sent back for the other kids or not. But I mean, it, the prophecy has been fulfilled, right? Yeah, they made it to the land of the high scrapers. Yeah, and it was uh, it was their their prophet Walker, even if it wasn't exactly the same person. Yeah, he brought them there and brought them there in an airplane. I think they did send the airplane back to fetch the rest of the the kids. Because yeah, they've established a new society there with master. Having got the power going again. Yeah, and they're all hanging out in like some abandoned building. Lights are going. Savannah's got a, a little kid that's probably her own kid now, because it's like some time later. Right, and they're, they're like Motel 6. They'll keep the light on for Matt. Savannah starts doing the tell again. They they keep up this tradition, and she's like, most of, a, most of all we members, the man who finded us, him that came to salvage, and we lights the city not just for him, but for all of them still out there. And, and, thus, and thus civilization begins to be rebuilt. That's how and, I interpret it. And we get Tina Turner again singing, we don't need another hero. <laughs> That's right. Over the credits. The score of this movie, though, is a different guy. Because remember, it was Brian May did Road Warrior. Right. Not that Brian May. Not yes. that Brian May, but a Brian May. This one is done by a guy named Maurice Jarre. I don't think I'm pronouncing that right because it's a French name. Pro- yeah, I'm not sure. But he's done a, a, a lot of lot of work. Notably, he did a, a, a very famous movie about the desert. Yeah, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Which is a great fucking score by the way great score great movie uh, although yeah. it's like oh. eight hours long <laughs> yeah it's like a good four hours long it's not a movie that we'll cover on this show i mean it's no water world <laughs> no 210 minutes oh good has, lord it has a uh it has an intermission it is excellent though it's one of my favorites there were a couple movies at that time that had intermissions dr shivago had an intermission seven samurai yeah Seven Samurai is another, like, eight-hour film. It's also great. They don't make them like that anymore. Instead, we get showgirls at, like, two and a half hours long. Even when they make movies like Grindhouse, which is custom-built to have an intermission, does not have an intermission. Yeah. You know, look, uh, here's the thing. Like, everyone's like, oh, the movie's too long. I'll take four hours of Lawrence of Arabia over two and a half hours of showgirls any day. Oh, definitely. Uh, Well, would you take the 9 p.m. taco shop coffee or Mad Max? Oh, Mad Max is good. Beyond Thunderdome is good. It might be my favorite of the three original ones. I feel like the world building is the best of the three. Like, you actually start to see a little bit of what society is like, rather than just, hey, there's these dudes in, like, S&M gear running around killing each other on bikes. Woohoo. Like I said before, if you remove the original film from the continuity, the world building becomes so much better. I feel like, I really do feel like the first movie does... We've had this discussion on the show before, right, where it's like, do the sequels render the first movie kind of obsolete? Because it's good, right? Yeah. But in the context of the three that follow it, and presumably you know, Furiosa or whatever in the future, it, it makes the first movie feel out of place. It's, well, it's a totally different type of movie as well. Completely different vibe. The story doesn't really line up that well with the rest of the movies. Like, it screws with the timeline, like... Yeah, anyway, I like the world building. Yeah, I mean, it's good. It's it's a really good movie. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's my favorite of the three original. Obviously, Fury Road's by, by far the best Batman. I mean, it's not the, even close, but. It does get a lot of grief from fans 
because of the kid stuff. Um, well, and it's not not as violent, but yeah. compared, I don't know. I'm not as. I mean, look at the shit we watch on our show. We've watched some pretty fucking grim shit. But I'm yeah. not like, oh man, it's got to be, you know, well, where's the gore? It's like there are a billion movies I can watch for gore. Like we compared those kids to Ewoks, but in yeah. a positive light. Most people do yeah, that in I a mean, negative whatever. way. It's like, yeah, whatever, antics. It's it's fine. It works within the context of the movie. I'd rather have antics than a rape. Yeah. Yeah, this this is, I don't know, I, this just felt better to me. Like I said, I think the world building was the best of the three original movies. You really started to see what things were like. And oh. at the end of the movie, you also maybe a view of what things could be like in the future. The entire culture with the kids fascinates me. Their language, their oral history that they pass on. Yeah, they actually established like some actual world building. This yeah. is a, a, a tribe of kids who have survived and developed, completely developed their own culture. And that whole thing of doing the tell, that, that is like my thing now. And it's it's so interesting because again, everyone likes uh, everyone likes Mad Max 2, right? It's like, but what, what actually happens in Mad Max 2? It's like what I said, it's a bunch of dudes in S&M gear kill each other for two hours. Like, okay, that's fine. That's fun. Yeah. But there's no real there's no real story development here, no world development here. This movie actually has yep. like substance beyond the, sto- the story it's telling, which I think is impressive. Fury Road does not pause for world building. No, but Fury, Fury Road is so incredibly different. I mean, I still haven't seen anything. Like, Fury Road is literally... A car ch- a, a two-hour-long car chase. Yeah, we'll get to Fury Road someday. That is, I, like Fury Road is by far the best movie in the series. It's not even like particularly close, but I like this one second. Oh, but like after I watched this movie and went back to work after my vacation, and somebody was yeah. like, "How how are your days off?" And I'm like, "Let me do the tell about my vacation." <laughs> let me do the tell. <laughs> That's like become my phrase lately. Let let me do the tell. Everyone thinks you're insane. Yeah, like my boss is like, what's going on in this area over here? And I'm like, let me do the tell of the panels. (laughs) They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) But that's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's an amazing movie. R.I.P. Tina Turner. She was a wonderful woman. Tina Turner. It's funny because when I thought... It, the reputation of this movie made it sound like it was pretty cheesy and terrible, and that's not how I felt about it at all. No, and it's got a lot of like really memorable stuff that's carried on throughout the rest of culture. The Thunderdome. I mean, like you know of Thunderdome without ever seeing this movie. I mean, it's the most influential of the three, too, of the three original movies as well, in terms of visuals and like thematics for post-apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, because of all that world building. It turns out if you actually try to make it feel lived in, it's better at influencing future works rather than, hey, look, leather. Ha ha. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what we do, uh, leave a review, leave a rating, let others know, get the word out. For more episodes, check out us on Twitter at Podcast Exploit or contact us at exploitatpodcast.gmail.com. So next, our bonus feature is going to be Waterworld. Yeah, very- I fucked that up pretty royally in the beginning. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> and next week, Indians... Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, Next week is next week. Next week is a a thing that will happen. Yeah. I mean, if next week happens, what we'll be doing next week will happen. Well, that sounds apocalyptic. I mean, it's appropriate to what we were just talking. 
<laughs> but we will catch you then.